0: okay so this is going to be uh, the first part of a two-part review um, we'll do the, the the rest of it next week of about 22 questions I combed through um, the first half of the book and I, I tried to come up with the most important questions um, you know and and that was really hard because there're all of the all of the bits of information are important to me but um, I tried to pick the parts that I thought you would think are important as well. So I'll pose the question. I'll give uh, you and the audience an opportunity to respond, and then uh, we'll see how close we got. Uh, we started off by saying that there were three reasons, three chief reasons why we uh, study church history. Can anyone remember what one of them was? Eric, don't, 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 work, don't, don't. Okay, go ahead. It's on, sir. We study it so that we can learn from the past. How? Where, where, yeah, there you go. To to learn from the successes and errors of those who came before us. Yeah. What's the first reason? To learn how we got where we are today. To we we are today. And then the third. Is that we get to see Scripture in action as God uh, uh, fulfills the promises that He made in Matthew 16:18, where Jesus says, "I will build My church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it." Uh, we see uh, God fulfill His promise in 4:11 and 12, where it says that, where Paul says that God uh, gifts the church by equipping her with apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. For the edification of the saints, I am convinced that if the church was was nothing more than what my sister sees it as, and and that's a, a, a an organization of men, if the church is nothing more than just men, if there's no transcendent God uh, building and keeping and protecting the church, then I am convinced the church would have fallen to pieces uh, centuries ago, with all of the political infighting and um, and, and intrigue and just everything the church would have fallen apart. So this is why we study church history. Okay, going back to the very beginning of the book. Did Christianity begin as a Jewish or a Gentile movement? Just you don't need to raise your hand, just say it out. Jewish, Jewish. Church began with Jewish apostles preaching from the Jewish Old Testament scriptures to Jews in Jerusalem at a Jewish temple on a Jewish holiday and continued in Jewish synagogues. Okay. Was Rome the first source of persecution against the church? No. Who, who was the first source of persecution? Jews. And particularly, um, uh, what part of the church did they did they target? They they targeted the PowerPoint screen part of the church. That's false. Well, they they didn't persecute everybody in the church. Acts uh, Acts eight says that the that the apostles remained at Jerusalem, but who fled? I pointed to the, because I have a podium and a laptop and I put the PowerPoint together. The, 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 the Jewish, the Hebrew Jews, so the scribes, the priests, not the priests, but the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the rabbis, and the, the, the old school Jews, uh, who were very Jewish in everything they did, uh, uh, were hostile towards the Greek influence, the Greeky, um, Christians within the church. Uh, that was why they, uh, uh, we, we saw that in them stoning Steve, um, Stephen, who was a Greek-named deacon in the church. Okay, why didn't Rome persecute Christians at first? No. When they, when Rome, when the Roman state Looked at Christians. What did they see? What did they think they see? Saw? Yeah. Jews. Christ- Rome saw Christianity for a while as a sect of Judaism. And what was special about Judaism within the Roman Empire? They had friends of Rome status. Yep. They were friends of Rome. What happened in 64 AD and what did it reveal about Rome and the church? It's uh, it has to do with the with the last question, with the with how Rome saw Christianity. Justin, what what did you say about uh, all those uh, sermons that you've been uh, listening to and the books you've been reading? They're what? Yes, Rome caught on fire. And allegedly, who did it? No. Nope. Yep. Allegedly, Emperor Nero started the fires of Rome. Uh, and the result was that Nero blamed the Christians. And what did his uh, accusation of the Christians uh, signify or reveal about Rome and the church? yeah well look, think back about this question. Rome did not persecute Christians because they christians uh were were believed to be Jews and believed to be Jews they benefited from the friends of Rome status meaning that that uh Romans didn't just go around persecuting their friends without just cause you know they 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 could th- they could go throw other people of other nations in jail or or um Execute them or tax them or levy them without question and you know who cares what they think but they treated uh, The nations that had friends of rome status much better Uh, So the rome wouldn't touch jews because of this special privilege That rome that nero and and rome is now openly persecuting christians Reveals what what has what has changed about the relationship? between rome and the church Yeah, they are. The Rome no longer saw Christians as a sect of Judaism. the the, uh, the world is looking at the church and realizing they're they're not just another flavor of Jews. They're something else. Okay, there were four main Jewish sects. Uh, bonus question: What were they? These are the these are the bodies. Of influence within Judaism. Essenes was one of them. Those were the weird mystical uh, fringe people. The Zealots, those were the nationalistic um, um, guerrilla warfare fighters and terrorists. Pharisees, scribes, rabbis, people, uh, the the holders of the law. And the Sadducees, the the depressed, because they're sad, you see. Okay. Uh, which, which one of those was the only one to survive the destruction of Jerusalem in seventy a d Pharisees, and how did it affect future relationships between Judaism and the church? What did they do well there, the, the pharisees the Pharisees and the rabbis uh, had direct control or influence over what pieces of literature. Well, they, they, they had they had they had the the commentaries, the Mishnah, the the midrash, and they put in they they put in uh, their laws in their traditions that Christians were now anathematized or cursed. Christians uh, Christians and Jews could no longer associate, and Christians were no longer allowed to attend synagogue. Okay, getting out of the first century, going in going into the second. Uh, during the second century, what unbiblical leadership structure appeared concerning bishops and presbyters and this the, 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 this to a side question what is a bishop and what is a presbyter biblically speaking yes uh, a, a bishop a bishop is is another word for an overseer one who one who manages or supervises. A Presbyter is just the Greek Greek word for elder. So the the presbyter would be uh, uh, the older title. The bishop would be a specific title. And you're right, they're the same thing. What unbiblical change developed? Yep. The bishops, um, uh, an unbiblical hierarchy developed. Uh, the bishop was was now seen as the superior senior pastor to to use um, today 's uh, language, and presbyters became lesser associate or or under pastors but biblically they 're the same thing okay what were the three main ingredient in, ingredients of the worship service in the early church? One should be a giveaway. That's that's the third one. Scripture, uh, including reading and preaching from both the Old and New Testaments. Prayer, multiple times. And then the third was communion. And uh, communion would be the second half of the service where unbelievers were, were dismissed. And what part of what modern what part of the modern worship service was not so important? Music. Sorry, Daniel. Same goes for drama. Absolutely. Tassel waving. Um, how were Christians labeled in pagan society? Think back to the think back to the criticisms that that. The, the 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 popular criticisms that society had against those christians they do they do this kind of thing they do that kind of thing they are those kind of people what cannibals. yep cannibals is one they were atheists why because they didn't believe in a god they didn't believe in the gods plural the, in the roman pantheon they were atheists and the the resulting argument with that was when anything bad happened when there was a flood when there was a drought when there was a famine when a tower collapsed when your crops didn't grow when when it, when when the the enemy invaded you when anything happened it was because uh, it was all those those dirty nasty christians faults because they have uh, proselytized and taken away all of the worshippers of the of the pagan gods And converted them into the worship of their God. So anything bad happened is because of those Christians. Uh, Another one. I'll give you this one because I already pressed it. They were considered antisocial. Because uh, there were many elements of everyday life that was directly linked. uh, And directly involved pagan worship. Uh, The observance of pagan holidays. uh, Where pagan uh, sacrifices and observances were, were done. Uh, entertainment like the um, uh, like Russell Crowe, the Gladiator, um, where people are killed for sport. Hospitals where the um, where the clerics and the uh, attendants would uh, offer pagan sacrifices uh, in their prayers. Education. Remember, uh, I think it was either the Iliad or the Odyssey was considered historical in in uh, in Rome at the time. Um, and then uh, simply being a soldier, uh, whether you 're a foot soldier or went up the ranks, you would have to uh, offer incense and worship the image of the emperor. So when a christian didn 't abstain from these kind of things, which happened on a daily basis, you were considered antisocial uh, what's another what is another a word um, has to do with who you swear allegiance to? If you if you don't submit to the government, what are you called? Anarchist. Because they said, did they did they would they swear that Caesar is Lord? No. Right, they were they were anarchists. They were cannibals because all this talk about eating the eating their Lord's body and drinking His blood at communion. What's another one? Has to do with uh, the way they would. Uh, has to do with the with the way they would refer to each other, and for the fact that they had love feasts. What? Yeah. So what were they labeled? Incestuous, because they call each other brother and sister. And then they also, uh, this was a more, more vague uh, label, but that they in, were involved in black magic because, as I said earlier, during communion, unbelievers were dismissed from the, from the worship service. So what do they really do behind those closed doors? Okay, so why would a, what would move a magistrate or a governor to persecute Christians? What, what was the deciding factor? Kind of. It, ha- it has to do with if it appeased the civil unrest of the people. Most of the time, uh, the 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 pagan rulers could have cared less what the Christians were doing. Um, and, and a g- good example of this is with Pilate. Pilate didn't really want to put hand Jesus over to be executed, but the people kept demanding and were threatening him if he didn't. So who were the Christians who publicly responded to, the, to these popular criticisms of Christianity in the second century? Second and third. The, what, what, what's, what, what's the, what, what is the name of their group? Like what, what, what are they called? If you don't know, I'm Sorry. No, I'm sorry, that's not right. Of the apologists, such as uh, Justin Martyr, J- Justin Martyr is is the most well known. <clears throat> what was the most basic belief of Gnosticism, and why was it also its most glaring problem? Gnosticism is one is is uh, was the first. It wasn't the first heresy, but it was the first major threatening heresy to the church. What was its most basic belief? It has to do with the name of the belief system. Right. What, what, and what did the special knowledge do? What does Jesus do for us? saves yes so the gnosis is a secret knowledge that saves you it it makes you whole it it gives you eternal life it it i mean the, the whole con- all of that is within the idea of salvation why was the gnosis the most glaring problem within gnosticism not quite um Right. There were many Gnostic sects, and none of them agreed what the Gnosis was. This group over here says it's a philosophy. This, this group over here says it's, a, it's, a, it's a, 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 a a magic phrase you need to say. You know, say these three words, and, and, and Jesus will come into your heart. Uh, this group over here says that it's an experience you need to have. You need to go out, and you need to be a desert, you know, you need to be a hermit. And, and you'll get the Gnosis. Nobody agreed what the Gnosis was. That was the most glaring problem of, of it, which uh, Irenaeus pointed out. What did the church emphasize as a response to Gnosticism? So think think about Gnosticism being fuzzy and not in agreement. How did the church respond in agreement to Gnosticism? There are three things. All has to do with the Apostles. Yep. Apostolic teaching. Uh, each church would develop a, um, they, they called it the rule of faith, but it's essentially a creed that would summarize the teaching of the local church. So you'd have these Gnostic churches and who knows what they believe. Uh, the, 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 the true churches would have a creed or an easy to read, easy to remember statement that would clarify what they believed. Um, Second one was apostolic churches. There was an emphasis or, or a greater importance found on uh, found in churches where an apostle either founded it or ministered to be, be a kuaz, none of the apostolic churches were teaching the things that the Gnostic churches were teaching. All of the apostolic churches were teaching the same body of doctrine. And then, what's what's the third apostolic blank that the church emphasized as a response? Where would the tradition be found? Apostolic writings, and this this was the this response to Gnosticism was um, ultimately what God used to preserve and uh, to preserve the New Testament scriptures. And brought about the canonization process, okay in response to the wildly varying beliefs of the Gnostic churches, what did the true church begin calling itself? Catholic Church, not to be confused with and what is what does Catholic mean? okay, what was the name? Of the second century charismatic movement, and why did the church reject it? Montanaism, right? Montanism, named after Montanus. Uh, why did the church reject it? as same reason why the church should reject most modern day charismatic stuff. What's the, what's the most glaring issue? Think of, uh, think of uh, what an Old Testament, uh, uh, what Old Testament law said about a prophet. Why? How do you know if it's false? Many prophecies, most prophecies, did not come true. And do you remember what the Old Testament law said to do with with a prophet who speaks in the name of the Lord and what he says doesn't come to pass? Do you just do you just give him a slap on the wrist? Do you just take away his his prophecy license card? Yeah. He's, so God God seems to t- to take very seriously people going around saying things in the name of God, and when the uh, uh, when God hasn't or, uh, authorized them to speak for Him, so. Uh, many, most prophecies did not come true. Um, what what do we know about their behavior? About yeah, it was erratic. It was highly suspicious. Do you remember that video I showed you of the guy, you know, fla- like looks like he was having a seizure, fla- uh, wailing and flailing around, and then he stopped and answered his cell phone. Seems. seemed... Uh, and then, what didn't help them either was that when the when the when the Catholic Christians, you know, put on their discernment hats and you know went, hmm, I why should I believe that, and uh, you know, criticize them or, or didn't embrace them, the Montanists got all uppity and uh, castigated them. All right, who was the controversial early Church father from Alexandria, and why was he controversial? Origin, uh, No, Cyril wasn't controversial. Um, Origen was. Uh, and and so, so was Tertullian, but um, I phrased the question in the form of it just being one guy. Why was he controversial? What did that do to his theology? I, I thought about asking about Neoplatonism, and again, I... I prefaced, uh, I prefaced this review with uh, 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 an effort to try to only focus on the most important things. And I let that one slide. Wh- how, how d- what did his ne- neoplatonistic tendencies do to his theology? Did it make it sound? Did it make it clear? Okay, his theology was a mixed bag. You could say it was very fuzzy, and his lack of clarity um, uh, ultimately was res- what? Did I what? Yes. Oh, you know what? I'm looking at my little next animation screen. Oh, at you know, the, I, I have like a preview screen, and I'm looking at that. And I, I so how long have I been not on the right one? Okay. Was oh, it Origin? Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna cascade you. Oh no. Okay. So his theology was a mixed bag. Why else was he controversial? What did what did he put on the map? Uh, how how did he put Alexandria on the map? Right, Al Gore's hermeneutic allegor—he he made the allegorical hermeneutic popular. What is the allegorical hermeneutic? Why was it popular? And why is it dangerous? Right. I, th- th- there are different ways I could have phrased it. Um, to be to be completely factually accurate, Origen believed there were three or four parts of every part of Scripture Um I can't remember what the. I think the body, the mind, the soul, and then the spirit, or something. Um, I'm just going to focus on the two extremes. Every part of scripture, uh, and this is a this is a presupposition. This is a belief that that he would bring to the text when he's going to interpret it. It was a, the belief that every single part of scripture has, at the same time, a lower base earthly, literal interpretation, and a higher, uh, transcendent, uh, lofty, spiritual interpretation. That's, that's what the, the hermeneutic is in and of itself, not commenting on if that's good or bad or why or why not. Uh, it's just simply an approach believing there is an earthly, literal tra- translate, uh, interpretation and a uh, spiritual interpretation of everything. Why was it popular? and this this ties into his philosophical tendencies. Why was the allegorical hermeneutic popular? I mean, put it put it expl- put it in, in, uh, in ways that that George, who just walked in, would understand what that means because he, he he didn't hear the previous questions. Yeah, getting there, getting there. What did people? What did? Pe- how did people value base, uh, literal, earthy, fleshly uh, experiences and phenomena? No, they they did evaluate. They did view earthy things in a, in a certain way. How did they view them? They were devalued. Common philosophical belief uh, because of. Yes sometimes yeah. So the common belief was that um, automatically, you know th- this is this is a this is baggage that you're bringing to the plate, automatically matter, uh, the things of matter, things of the earth, things of, ba- of, uh, of base, experiences are on this lower plane of reality uh, and spiritual things uh, are transcendent things are inherently better and so you would uh, at first you would find the basic literal interpretation but over time you would just discard it and automatically look for the transcendent spiritual interpretation why is it dangerous right you're making you're making the Bible speak on one hand you're making this Bible speak where and when it's silent on the other hand when you it, when you when you're discarding the the plain literal interpretation, you are ignoring you are neglecting the Bible where and when it does speak all right were Yes, I glanced at it a number of years ago. We, uh, we, I think we touched on that uh, in the first or in the first or second session. The Shepherd of Hermas uh, is dubious; it's questionable for the same reason that Montanism is questionable. Okay, were that's right, right? Yeah, okay. Were the first three centuries of the church a continual, unbroken period of persecution? What, what was there? What were there? There were, there were waves or periods, yeah. How did God use Diocletian's political reforms to limit Christian persecution across the Roman Empire? Remember, he doesn't even remember what he did. It, this, this was in a day where uh, where the the, the the guy in line, the guy in waiting to be the next emperor, w- you know, might think, you know, hey, it's my time now. That this old guy is not doing anything. That's just off him, and I'm going to take his throne. So Diocletian comes along, and he um, um he splits the Roman Empire between the east and the west. Between two, between himself and another equal emperor, and then he assigns a a subordinate under each emperor. Uh, where the guy on top is called an Augustus, the guy on the bottom is called a Caesar. And so now, instead of one guy being at the uh, on the sole seat of the whole empire, you have two Augustuses, one in the west, one in the east, and you have two Caesars, one in the west, one in the east. The point of all that was. If one guy has an ambition that he's going to become the, the the next guy on top, he's going to have a lot of competition. It, it, his job will be that much harder to carry out his ploy. Now, how did God use that to limit Christian persecution across the Roman Empire? What would happen? So, you, so you have two you have two guys on the top, and then two guys on the bottom. What would happen often when when the the Augustus in the West would be intolerant of Christians? What did we commonly find about the Augustus in the East? And when there's a, when there's a when there's an intolerant Augustus, what was common uh, commonly the the uh, the case with the guy underneath him who would secede him? Yeah, so. Very often, the Augustuses and the Caesars would alternate being tolerant and intolerant. Same thing for uh, their counterparts in the East and West. So with the exception of three short, um, we say, looking back, we call them relatively short waves. One, I think two of them were two or three years. One of them was seven years, Um, you know, except for those uh, relatively short waves of persecution, uh, the... Uh, empire wide persecution was circumvented because you didn't have one guy uh calling for persecution at the top okay, true or false, Constantine was a genuine Christian. any other thoughts? anyone think there's a third option? Yeah. Why uh what 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 good did he do? What 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 could be commended about Constantine? Yeah? He did he did a lot for the church. He uh, built a new Christian capital where Christianity could flourish. What did he do with persecution he ended it uh, he helped fund the church considerably uh, often out of his own funds uh, he ended uh, he worked to abolish the gladiatorial games he uh, he established the first uh, state-funded welfare program for poor children he did a number of things uh, he, he he even gave to, to local churches. Uh, in some ways he had a very admirable character. He was very generous with his money compared to virtually every emperor uh else. He was pretty sexually pure. He 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 wasn't known to have uh uh mistresses on the side, and sometimes he would be very humble sometimes. In some ways he had very shameful behavior. He was um he had a very bad temper. He was very impulsive. Sometimes very proud. And what, what is the word where you are suspicious that um, – is the suspicious the word I'm looking for? Where you, you, you're paranoid. I spent like 20 minutes last night trying to figure out what that word was. He was paranoid. He was often paranoid uh, about about somebody trying to usurp his throne and um, uh, or, or fault him or, or whatever. And he also did a lot of bad for the church as well. He uh, he favored after banishing a heretic, uh, Arius. He uh, he brought Arius back and clearly showed favor towards him. Uh, As Justin pointed out in his lesson, uh, he was responsible for uh, the institution of sacralism, where church and state are brought together. with sacralism, he made it easy for heretics to hide in the church, as well as being uh uh the first to use state power to enforce uh punishment against those um being disciplined by the church. And may you know, that that may not be a bad thing at that point, but that led the way, that laid the foundation for later um, Uh, church leaders to bring the power of the state against orthodox christians such as the inquisition so at the end of the day i think it's best to say if someone you know talks about constantine being a, a good or bad example of a christian i think it's best to say we don't know his heart okay true or false constantine made christianity the official religion of the empire Is anyone going to challenge George? You are true. He made he 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 merely made first with the Edict of Milan in three thirteen when he was the Emperor of the West. Uh, remember, he um, because of uh, Diocletian's reform. He became the emperor, or the Augustus of the West. Licinius became the Augustus of the East. Uh, He enacted the Edict of Milan with Licinius, which which was to uh, uh, provide tolerance and safety for all religions. And then, um, um, Licinius got paranoid uh, and started persecuting the Christians. Constantine came and took over he 's now the 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 guy on top over the whole empire, and he makes Christianity for the whole empire tolerable and legal. He does not make anybody be a Christian. Uh, what he was the first to do was to not publicly endorse Roman paganism up until this point the the Roman emperor was was viewed as the Pontifex Max, the chief priest of the Roman pagan Religion, And it was his job To enforce Roman paganism Constantine was the first to not do that um, And uh, Theodosius I would be the first one to, to officially Make Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire So do, do you get the difference between making it Official and making it legal or tolerable Okay, that's a, that's a common Misconception What made Constantinople The Christian capital this is the last question. And I put it in, in quotes because he doesn't label it. Constantin- Constantinople was not labeled or declared to be a Christian capital, but for all intents and purposes, it was. Why? Oh, my I don't even, I didn't even put a, I was really pleased that you, like, you knew exactly what I had. Okay. Okay. What made Constantinople the Christian capital? Yeah. And what about Constantinople? Okay. Very good. All right. Well, that leaves us... uh, We're out of time, so we'll pick up next week when we uh, review... The, the most important uh, points and details from the second half of the book let's pray Lord thank you for this morning I thank you for these uh, for these dear saints uh, who have taken a, a extra time out of their Sunday morning to come and to, to learn I pray that you would bless them for it uh, please be uh, please be pleased with uh, with the worship here this morning as we as we come to to learn from your word and to worship you Amen